So when Emily and I got married, it was uh, one of the busier times of my life. There's first and foremost the actual wedding planning side of things, of, of all the brain power that that takes up, and appointments with locations and vendors. And if you think that there is a chance that I was going to pass up on tasting any of the food, we clearly don't know each other very well. But in addition to that, I was in the last semester of my master's program, and I had this thesis, this monstrosity of a paper, in more ways than one, uh, that was due about a month after the wedding date. Uh, in addition to that, was working full-time at a church, and the senior pastor had just left, and so things were really slammed right there. So my mind was on quite a few things. But when it came down to it, what I was looking forward to the most was our trip, was our honeymoon. I, I'd never really traveled much at this point. Emily had been all over, and so we wanted to go someplace that was new for both of us, and we landed on Barcelona. And considering that Emily had already moved into the place that was going to be our apartment and it needed to be uh, fit for humans, uh, we didn't need a ton of stuff at this point, so we thought, why not just make our honeymoon our, our registry? And so there was this fancy hotel that we could never afford, and we're like, all right, we want to stay there. We'll put it on the registry. Uh, the hotel has a restaurant. We can possibly eat there, and we looked at the prices. Oh, okay, this is our entire eating out budget for the whole trip in this one meal, but you know what? Let's just put it on the registry and see what happens. And we did this with, with food, with uh, tickets, with public transit. We just put everything on the registry. And then we saw that the hotel had a spa. Now, Emily and I love getting massages. It's something that we could spring for like maybe once a year or so, but this place uh, greatly surpassed uh, our normal spa experiences. I, I think our, our normal uh, cost that we would pay for it might have gotten us like an infused water or something at the spa, but you know, like, like the small one though. So we saw this place and we thought this would be so great, but we could never afford this, let's put it on the registry. And then we started to see the power of guilt uh, with our family members who we thought never in a million years would miss our, our wedding. They started to RSVP no. And then they must have thought, like, how could we get married? Uh, they must have knew that we were thinking, how can we get married without them there? Because they started to buy things off our registry. In fact, they bought everything off our registry, including the never in our price range massage that we'd be able to do. So we got married, uh, we were tired, exhausted, hop on a plane the next day, it was the longest flight I'd been on to that point, most layovers and flight changes, and so we get to this fancy hotel that I had picked out, just exhausted from life and travel, uh, it was a red eye for us to get there, and I don't sleep on a plane, so I was really tired, and walk into the lobby of this place, we say our names, and we get the dreaded, oh, we are trying to get a hold of you which is never a good thing. Like, we are trying to get a hold of you because we've comped your stay. It's never anything fun like that. Uh, it, they told us that they had overbooked the hotel on accident for, for that night. And my stomach just dropped. All of the stress of life and work and school and travel, all of the exhaustion of staying up for that entire time, of, of coming off the wedding, of looking so forward to this trip, of looking forward to this non-refundable deposit that we put on this massage, and hearing them say that we, we overbooked. And I look around at this beautiful building, looked even better than the pictures did, and I thought to myself, and it wasn't a very good thought, but it was... I wonder if arson is legal in this country or not. <laughs> 
So after this pause, which felt to me 45 minutes, Emily told me it was about a half second, they told us how they were going to take care of us. They put us up in an even nicer hotel. They said, order anything off room service. They got our breakfast the next day. They uh, drove us there and back. Then they took us around and said, hey, pick what suite you want, which is much better than the room we had, which had a bed. Uh, And so this was much nicer than that. And they did all of this as quick as possible so we could still make our appointment at the spa. And I walk into that just so relieved, but so tired, and I was so looking forward to this time to rest and relax, and I fell asleep 15 minutes into a two-hour session. (laughs) But I woke up feeling so relieved, so good, more rested than I had felt in, in a long time, and so much so that I started looking up places back home so we could do this again. Because isn't that the dream? Like, there's so much in life that just beats us down, that takes from us, that we're exhausted. We're just looking for some sort of rest. And so we go to way too expensive massages. We go and sit by the beach. We go up to a cabin. We, we try to do anything. We fill our life with hobbies, things that would give us rest so that we can put our mind on other things, off work, off of, uh, off of what life was taking from us. We, we do these things, and they're good. We should do these things. We need these parts but we even get like jealous when we hear of other people are getting rest. Because the thing of it is, is it's never enough. There's always that point that comes where, I'm tired again. I can't wait till the next vacation. I can't wait till the next weekend. Because after that massage, I I beat down my body again, walking way too many miles around Barcelona, hopped on a plane again. And then as soon as we got home, I said goodbye to my new wife and went to the library. I even took more vacation days, not for a fun trip this time, but so I could try to get that paper done. And just a couple weeks after the honeymoon, I remember thinking to myself, man, I could use some rest. And so in our passage today in Hebrews 4, 1 through 13, It's all about this greater rest that is offered to us, that surpasses hobbies and vacation times and weekend plans and even the most luxurious of massages. We've been working through the book of Hebrews together, and and we've seen that Jesus is greater than anything else we might try to fill our lives with. And we've seen why he is good. He is God who makes himself known. He has done all the work for us on the cross. He has revealed himself to us. He has shaped who we are. He has accomplished everything. He has put to death the doom of death. We've been seeing time and time again how Jesus is greater. But we've been hitting these warning passages as of late. When we were in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, uh, Take careful of what you have heard, lest we fall away from it, lest we don't obey it. Last week in chapter 3, verse 12, it was, um, Take care lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart. And now in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach, uh, to reach it. We keep getting all these warning passages, and we might think, well, yeah, like this is eternity at stake. We need to help those who are outside the church, who aren't following Jesus, need to know the cost of that, of, of not following Jesus has disastrous consequences. But here's the thing, who is this written to? Who do we keep seeing the recipients are time and time again? It's the brothers and the sisters Hey, if we're going to remember that the promises of God go to both genders, we're going to make sure that the warnings go there too. But even this, what we just read, it said, let 
us fear. Us, from the author's perspective. Even the author is including themselves into this as well. It is written to those who are claiming to follow Jesus, those who are in the church. Well, why do people in the church need to have all these warnings? Well, I think it goes back to what we've been seeing. We've been spending this time of looking at Israel. They were in the wilderness. God had rescued them from slavery. God was bringing them to a land where God would be their God and they would be his people. God was providing for them and caring for them all along the way, and Israel decided to disobey, to fall away from this God. And so what I think the, the author is saying here in, in chapter 4 is it's continuing that idea of we looked at Israel and we said, don't be like them. But now we're looking at these were people who saw all of God's promises. They were around God's people. They knew God's truth and they chose to go away from that. So now you who are in the church, you who are claiming to follow Jesus, is asking that same thing. Will we be like them? Verse 1 says, while this promise of entering God's rest still stands, which is true, that's offered to any while before Jesus comes back. We can turn to him, we can follow him, we can enter his rest. But we need to fear, lest that, verse 2 says, uh, lest that we become like Israel, lest that we fall away like they did, lest we are like them who knew all of this and chose to go away from God. So we who might be in the same boat, we who are in the church, we who hear time and time again of God's promises, we who are, are uh, coming together with other Christians, it's that same sort of question. Am I following after God's word or do I just know the words of it? Am I part of God's people or am I just around God's people? And so the caution, the warning here that we find is verse 11. Hebrews 4, verse 11 says this. It says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, the same sort that we saw in Israel. Let us strive to enter that rest. And this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the effort of rest How are we to strive after this rest that God offers to us? How are we to make every effort to enter his rest so that we are not like Israel, so that we do not fall away by disobedience? And I think it might first be good to talk about what do I mean by rest? And and how are we to strive after this thing? Because if we're still thinking of rest as luxurious massages, it's hard to strive after anything in a bathrobe and those slippers that they give you. So how do we strive after this rest well, we might need to first define what this rest is. We've been talking in uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews uh, of Psalm 95, and we spent some time on it last week. In Psalm 95, you have King David, king over Israel, looking back a few hundred years before him to his ancestors, Israel in the wilderness, who chose to be disobedient to God. So David, in his time, is writing to his people saying, do not be like them who were disobedient and did not enter into God's rest. God's rest in that initial context is entering the promised land. God promised his people would have this wonderful place where he would be their God and they would be his people. Now, that might not sound like the most restful experience for for us because Israel, going into the promised land, still had a lot to do. They had to cultivate the land. They had to build cities. They had to conquer the current inhabitants. 
And how many of us are tempted to rest in that way? Oh, man, what a hard week I've had. I just need to take a load off. I know, I'll go fight in a war. That'll bring some relief. No, but what we see is the rest that is offered, that Psalm 95 is talking about, what entering the promised land meant, is this phrase that I keep trying to bring our attention to. God would be their God, and they would be his people. I cannot begin to tell you how many times we find that construction throughout the Bible. I mean, even on the way to the promised land in Exodus 29, 45, uh, it, it says this. It says, I, from God's perspective, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. We keep seeing this idea that in the promised land, that would be the place where God would be their God and they would be his people. It's this idea of closeness, of being with God that that Israel, that no one was able to experience since the Garden of Eden, when everything was perfect, where there's nothing wrong. It's this access to God where you don't have to pursue after it, but God is right there with them. It's this very intimate, personal phrasing of the closeness that God was offering to be with his people. The God of the universe who created all things, who knows all things, says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's this beautiful picture of closeness. The rest is entering into a relationship, into his presence of getting to know this God. But the point of the promised land was never that's the end goal. If we can just all get to Israel, we'll find rest. Uh, That wasn't it at all. The promised land was supposed to show all people of this greater rest that was to come. And I think our passage talks about that as you hit verses 6 and 7, and then you get to to verse 8 where it says, uh, if Joshua had given them rest, which if we're remembering our Old Testament, Joshua actually brought them into the promised land. He brought them in, but we don't have this beautiful story of how Israel found rest and they never struggled, they never went away from God. Instead, we hear the opposite, that they continue to fall away from God. They can continue to try to find their rest elsewhere. They continue to put their hopes and their trusts and their desires in anything else but God. Promised Land was supposed to show us of this greater rest that was to come, that we all are still that we all long for, that we all need. And to help us get this, the author of Hebrews expands this idea of rest. It's getting to be in the presence of God uh, that was offered in the promised land, but it's also the very rest that God himself is experiencing. Look at Hebrews 4, verse 4. It says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the somewhere that this is spoken is page one of our Bibles, or page two, depending on how big your font is. Uh, So God created the universe and everything in it. And once he had done that, he rested from his work. There was nothing left to be accomplished. Then look at verses nine and 10. It said, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as what? as God did from his. 
So that very rest that God experiences, nothing left to be accomplished, everything has been created, that is offered to those who enter into God's rest as well. There's no more, there's no more uh, this, the sweat of the brow that has uh, been exacerbated by sin entering this world. There's no more uh, enduring of suffering and pain. There's no more like trying to earn uh, and acquire as much as we possible to get some sort of status. There's none of that on hand because it is just rest. It is relief from all of that. It is pure rest that's offered here. And that's the glorious hope and future that's offered to all those who trust in Jesus, that we will be able to enter that rest. But is it strictly future? Is there nothing for us now? Is the point of this life just to walk through beleaguered and broken and beat down until we finally enter that rest? I don't think so. We have so many warnings here. Do this now, not so you can have some sort of future hope, but so that we can experience part of it now. Because what have we seen of this rest? God's presence, nothing left for us to be accomplished. Well, what have we seen throughout Hebrews? We saw that God is the God who wants to be known and to know us. And we have that in part through Jesus, who has come to this world as the Son of God to know and be known. That's chapter 1 of Hebrews. And then the nothing left to be accomplished. Well, we saw we do not have to earn our salvation. That work has been done by Jesus on the cross. So we have that in part. He has done all that work. He has done all the, uh, the, the pain, the cost of our sins. Jesus has done that. So we have that. That's all chapter two. So this entering into God's presence, this uh, resting from the work, the, the accomplishing aspect, that has been completed in part now, that we get to experience that in part now. It's a glorious future rest, this hope for this future rest that's offered to all who are in Jesus. And we have a rest now. You don't have to earn yourself. You don't have to prove yourself worthy of entering a God's salvation. You don't have to uh, try to accomplish something to make God look at you and think that you're worthwhile. That's already been done. And to be in the presence of God, well, the greater message has come now through Jesus where we can be known and we can know him. We have a glorious hope to come. We have a glorious presence that is happening now in part through Jesus. So what is this greater rest that's being offered? What is it that's being said to us, that's offered to us here? This greater rest is, I love the way uh, Pastor Perry and Boulder put it this week. He says, uh, it's an unobstructed enjoyment of God's presence. An unobstructed enjoyment of God's presence. There is nothing between you and God. God has done all that. We get to enjoy his presence. What is offered in the promised land, we receive now in part because Jesus has come. And his presence is, is given to all who are following after him. Are we doing that? Are we finding our rest in what is offered in unobstructed enjoyment of God's presence? That is the greater rest. 
We so often try to fill our time with so many other things. We, we look for opportunities to create a deeper imprint on the couch, to go weekend to weekend where we just get to go away from work, to go on uh, incredible trips. Uh, and those are all good things. We should be striving to find physical rest in that way. But the greater rest is that what is offered. And we should see this in our lives. Every time we go on a trip, there's the next one that comes along, and we wonder, when will that happen? The, the way that we are not satisfied with the lack of rest that we get, the way that we feel always tired all the time, that ought to be an indicator that we were meant for more. And that rest that is offered, that greater rest, is an unobstructed enjoyment of God's presence that we can experience now in part, and we will experience forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. That is what's offered to God's people. That is the rest that we can enjoy because of Him. But why all these warnings? In particular, how we put it before, uh, we said that there is an effort to rest, but we just said there's nothing left for us to accomplish. God has done that. There's nothing for us to try to prove ourselves. So, so what is this effort that we are charged to do? Again, as we saw it in, in verse 11, it said, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What is this effort that is involved in this rest? It feels like an oxymoron. The rest that's given to us, the unobstructed enjoyment of God's presence, we are to make every effort to ensure that we are receiving that rest. No effort in the rest, but to ensure that we are receiving it, there is an effort involved there. Again, it's going back to Israel. It's how they were around God's people. They knew all the truths. They had every, uh, every bit of it memorized, and they still chose to go in a different way. They did not see if they aligned with God's plan. They did not see if they aligned with God's good way for them. They went elsewhere. And so the same thing for, for those in the church, for those who have always been in churches, make every effort to ensure that we are aligning with what God has for us. Essentially, the argument is this throughout Hebrews 4. Israel knew God's, uh, God's words, but they did not believe in them. Israel was around God's people, but they did not, choose, uh, they did not follow uh, as God's people do. So you in the church, do you know God's word or do you just know the words of it? Do you have the Old Testament memorized or do you believe the God that's behind it? Are you in the church or are you actually part of it? Not just filling a seat, but are you actually part of it? So we are to make every effort to ensure that we are aligning with what God has for us. And the way that we do this, it doesn't just leave us to wonder it. It gives us a way that we can check to see, are we aligning with what God has for us, is this incredibly famous passage that we might even have parts of it memorized. It's in verses 12 and 13. It says, for the word of God. So again, make every effort to make sure that we do not fall away by the same sort of obedience. Now we get connected to it with this idea. How do we ensure that? How do we uh, strive to enter God's rest? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account." 
So how are we to make every effort? How are we to ensure that we are aligning with what God has for us to ensuring that we are following as part of God's people? Well, it's the Word of God. The Word of God that has been used to argue every step of the way to get us to this point. The Word of God that, that shows us what rest is, what this greater rest is, and how we are to enter that. The Word of God that tells us uh, that God wants to be known and how we can know Him through Jesus. The Word of God that tells us this God in general, beyond that. So as we go, as we read it, it says it's like a a double-edged sword that's sharp and pierces, and and there's cutting, and and swords and blades are normally this idea of pain, but we can also think of it as well as like a scalpel, where there's a cutting away, where there's hurt that comes from that, but it's the removal of all that's bad, uh, that's damaging to us as well. So as we go to the Bible, as we go to the Word of God, we see who God is, what He's like, and throughout that we can see what His, his will and plan and, and character are like, and we can see are we aligned with that or instead are we following our own desires and plan and will. We can see, are we aligned there? And then uh, when we see that there is a discrepancy, when we are not finding our hope and identity and and, uh, belief in God, it is a way for us to recognize where we are falling short in that. So when we see this passage, when we see Israel, this cautionary tale, where in chapter 3 it was this question of, do not be like them. We get to chapter 4, and I mean, look at the language let us fear, let us strive. He will give an account, we'll be naked before him. Man, when we read this language, it takes it a little bit further. It's not, do not be like them, but it's this question that we ask, where are we like them? Am I like them? And so chapter 4 tells, uh, it gives us a way for us to take inventory. And I keep saying that word us there, and that's intentional, partially because we see that with the author of Hebrews, the author used us, so they themselves were included in this caution. They themselves need to be checking their lives, but I'm not immune to this either. It's always ensuring that I am finding my rest, my certainty for salvation, and God alone. Nothing that I can produce, nothing that I can create, not finding my identity in who I think I am, not being the God of my life, but turning to the God of the universe to be that. So how do we do this? How do we take this inventory? What's seeing what are we filling our time with? Again, we said, Rest is good. We need that physical rest. We should take vacations. God made this world beautiful for a reason. It's not so that we could be shut up in our rooms. Uh, Rest is good. We need uh, things to take our mind off of work or school or whatever stressors they may be and apply it to something else for a little bit. That is a good thing. Rest is good. We have been given a family. We get to enjoy their presence. We have friends. We get to enjoy their presence. But is that our highlight of the week? Is that what's sustaining us? Do we get to the end of a weekend tonight and we say, man, I cannot wait till Friday night again? Do we get back from a vacation? It's like, man, get to go in a couple months and that's going to be good. Just need to survive until then. That's not the rest that we were meant for. And the way we practice this greater rest and unobstructed enjoyment of God's presence 
is we recognize that we can enter into God's presence now. The greater message has come. Jesus has revealed himself. We can know God and be known by God through that. So how are we remembering that? We have this wonderful future ahead of us. Where are we practicing that now? And again, first and foremost, it's the Word of God. Where are we reading that? Where are we seeing what God's character is like? Where are we seeing what His will and His plan is and how it runs contrary to what our will and plan is at times? Where are we filling our lives with the Word of God? And I think back to just this weekend. Uh, Emily and I had uh, what would be considered by just about everyone a very lazy Saturday yesterday. And, and part of that's good. We are with each other. We're apart throughout the week. Uh, God has put us in each other's lives for a reason. So there's a part of that that's really good. But this is something that I'm continuing to grow in. There's very little word of God in there. There's very little uh, other parts that we'll talk about in a second. But then I think as well about this past Friday, where by all accounts, it wouldn't look like rest for many of us. I went up to my parents. They have trees that are dying, so I was helping them chop them down and, and gather all that. I, I still have uh, war wounds to prove it. This wasn't a cat, I promise. Uh, but as I'm doing this, which would be considered labor, my mind started to go to what I was focusing on through the week. This is a tough passage, and I was really wrestling through it. And I spent uh, an ex- quite a bit of time trying to figure out what is God speaking through this. And as I'm up there chopping a tree down, my word is going back to this. Because I've filled my week with this, it is how I'm filling my rest as well. So where are we creating that habit where we are going to the word of God to see what he is speaking to our lives so that in those moments that we are recovering, where we are getting physical rest, we are also recognizing that we are practicing the rest that is to come. We are enjoying an unobstructed enjoyment of God's presence now. Prayer as well. If rest is just something that we can recover so we can go back to the this effort that we put in work of, of building ourselves up, of deciding for us our lives and, and how that is to be run, well, prayer breaks that down. Prayer is the reminder that we are utterly dependent on God to bring our needs, our worries, our concerns, our hurts to Him. Are we filling our lives, our downtime with prayer? Or solitude. And I don't just mean when you need a break from your family. Intentional solitude to remember, God, I am in your presence. I am stepping away from anything else. I am giving up that control, as much as that's scary to do, to sit before you and remember that you and you alone offer me a greater rest. Because look at what is said of us. We will give an account. We will stand before him naked and exposed to the eyes of him that we must give an account. We said before that we, we looked back at the first couple pages of the Bible where God rested after he created everything. This should make us think of the first couple pages of the Bible as well, where Adam and Eve chose to go against God, where they decided to be the gods of their lives as well. And when God came to them, they realized they were naked and ashamed, and they tried to hide. We will go before God in the same way. And how many of us will be like Adam and Eve, or can we say what this passage is encouraging us to? God, I am before you. You are the God of my life. I have nothing that is hidden from you. Naked and exposed, you can see 
that I have done my best to follow after you. Can we say that? Can we say that we have been finding our rest in God? Because the alternative is like we are Israel in the wilderness who knew God's truth and fell away from it, choosing disobedience, choosing to be their own gods over their own selves. The alternative is, is that we miss out on this great rest that is offered to us. The alternative is, is that we find ourselves before God grasping at anything else that we might try to use to hide behind. Now, I get it. This is a lot of warning passages in a row, and they're not the most fun to talk about. But I hope that the frequency of them can show us something. It's a big deal. It's a real big deal that we should take notice of. Because one of the beautiful things about the Christian life is how easy it is to be part of it. You have nothing to accomplish. Christ has done all the work for you. All you have to do is believe. And that's all true. But the difficulty comes when we think that that is it. That's all there is to it. I said my prayer, and now I get to live my life however I want. And that ain't it. And when we come to these warning passages, it should make us notice. The author of Hebrews is emphasizing it for those who are in the church. We in a nation where so many people claim to be following Jesus, we should see these warning passages and take notice. Why are these there so often? Am I finding my rest in God or am I putting it anywhere else? So we take inventory, we read the Bible, we pray. Last, uh, last week we saw, we get around other Christians, we encourage one another, we have solitude, us and God. These warning passages ought to be just that, a warning for us as well. And I know this isn't the most fun topic. And so I do want to just say, like next week, we will get to a beautiful passage Here we have these warnings with, uh, am I like Israel? And next week we see that because of Jesus, we can come before him in confidence, unwavering certainty. It's not a question, did I make it? But because of Jesus, I am loved and accepted and known. So lots of warning passages and then a really sweet, beautiful passage next week. And then a really big warning passage after that. But let me, let me end with a little bit of hope. Uh, let me end with a little bit of hope. So Israel chose disobedience. They did not enter into God's rest. They found anything else to align their lives behind. But here is the certainty. Here is the future of those who find their rest in God, who seek to align themselves with him. Where Israel missed the promised land, where God would be their God, and they would be his people. Here is the future. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them as their God. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that to turn to you, there is nothing that we must accomplish. We don't need to clean ourselves up. We don't need to make ourselves perfect. 
We don't need to try to catch your attention or earn your approval because that could never happen. Said you have accomplished it all. You've paid the price. You have covered our sins. But that is not where the life of living for you ends. As we have seen the goodness of who you are, as we know more of you and the work that you have done, let us continue to make every effort of finding our rest in you. You've given to us your word that shows us where we might be off. You've given to us your son, which shows us what you are like. Help us as people striving to enter that rest. Help us to know your goodness and your love and your guidance that is given to us so that we can know you more, we can know that you are greater than anything else, so that we can enjoy an unobstructed time in your presence, offered now in part with a great, glorious future that we will see. So it's to you and you alone that we pray. Amen.